You're listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast, episode number 175. Welcome to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. Business advice so easy, you'll feel like you're cheating. And now your host, Amy Porterfield. Well, hey there, Amy Porterfield here, and welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast. And today I'm talking about a topic I might file under, do you really want to hear about this? But I've got so many Instagram messages and Facebook comments, and not to mention my staff constantly nudging me about this topic. So I think it's time to tell my story. Now, some of you have heard how I've gotten started. You've heard some of my challenges along the way. If you are a devoted follower, you've heard some of the stories around how I got to where I am today. However, I'm going to go a little bit deeper today, and I'm going to share things that I've never, ever talked about. I'm going to talk even more so about my time with Tony Robbins and what that was all about and how it shaped me and what didn't work while I was there and what really helped me. So I'm going to get into a lot of specifics, not just about the Tony Robbins experience, but about all of my work experience leading up to having a multi-million dollar business selling online courses and nothing else. I don't do consulting. I don't do masterminds. So I've built my business around online courses and I want to share how I got to where I am today. And the reason being is because I love to hear about other people's stories. So when you all started to ask me about this and asked me to go in more depth about the topic, I thought, first of all, that sounds very indulgent. But then I thought, I love to hear about other people's stories. So maybe you would enjoy hearing about mine as well. Now, I won't give you the, I was born on a rainy night in December and my mom insisted she take one more client, she was a hairstylist, before she was ready to go to the hospital. And of course, when my mom showed up at the hospital to deliver her second baby girl, that was me, her hair was of course perfectly styled and her makeup was flawless because that's the kind of mom I have. No, no, no. I won't go into all those extra backstory details because I'm going to spare you that kind of stuff. However, I will share all the details around how I got here and how I made a progression toward the entrepreneur that I am today. So no weird childhood stories. I just wanted to tease you with that one little one because that definitely is how my mom is. She cracks me up. But no childhood stories like that. We're going to get to the nitty gritty, the good details that will actually make an impact, hopefully, in what you're doing in your business as you're building something that you absolutely love and are working so hard to make bigger or better or scale it or whatever it is you're doing right now in your business. Now, I'll break it down into five phases overall of how I went from corporate to consulting to courses and share some of the aha moments and the big takeaways and lessons. So I'll share some of the knocks that I took, some of the wins that I experienced, and of course, some of those, oh, if I only knew what I know now, thoughts and insights as well. I think the overarching theme is that despite the setbacks or the obstacles that I felt along the way, I always move forward. So to me, going back was never, ever an option. And quite honestly, thinking about going back was just too painful. So I've always looked to the next step, telling myself, okay, if I can get through the stuff that's going on right now, whether it be a failed first launch, a tiny email list, someone said something not so nice about me online, whatever it might be, I think if I can get past this, there has to be something better out there waiting for me. So that outlook, that promise to myself has always driven me. My hope is that my own story and the many phases I have already gone through in my own business will inspire you. And I think you may start to see a few patterns that you can apply to your own life and your own journey as an entrepreneur. So let's go ahead and dive in. Here's how I plan for this episode. 
oh, you know I plan for this stuff, right? If you happen to be at Podcast Movement a few months ago, I did a panel with John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn. And it was so funny because we each talked about how we plan for our episodes. And it was almost embarrassing how much I plan compared to those two guys. However, I also know this is my style. This is how I know I show up and do a good job. So to each their own. Speaking of podcasts, I wanted to let you know that I have an episode coming up where I give you my entire podcast process project plan. That's a mouthful, but I give you the entire rundown of how we do my podcast behind the scenes. So if you've been thinking about doing a podcast or you're doing one and you're just curious as to what mine looks like behind the scenes, there's an entire episode coming up just for you. Okay. So back to how I planned this episode, I've broken it up into the different phases. So starting with corporate, that's phase one. And as I tell you my story within each of the phases, I'm going to give you key learnings and my turning point, which is what actually got me to move on to the next phase. Usually there was some pain and the pain outweighed the good, but it also might have been an opportunity or something that I just couldn't pass up. So I'm going to give you my learnings and my turning point as we transition into the next phase. So again, we've got five phases to go through. And also you might be saying, okay, Amy, you've talked about phases in episode 105. Okay. To be quite honest, if you were able to say episode 105, when I talked about phases, that's pretty impressive. So anyway, in episode number 105, I did talk about the two big phases in your business. And the episode was called, where do I start? And I talked about phase one being focused on how you will make money right now. And phase two was moving into the ultimate business model that will work best for you and your ideal customer avatar. So in phase two, you're creating a business and a life you love. So that was in episode 105. If you're just starting out, you definitely want to find some time to listen to that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. But today, these phases are just my own personal phases of moving from corporate into creating courses. Good? Okay. Now, I often start with my corporate career saying that I worked for Harley-Davidson Motorcycles, which is true. I started at the dealership level in Ventura, California, which is kind of near Santa Barbara, where I went to college. And so I got to work at the dealership levels. There was one dealership. When I left, we had two. And I worked on the events and the promotions related to the special rides they did, the motorcycles that were coming out. It was the time of the V-Rod. So for any Harley enthusiast, you know what I'm talking about. And so it was a really fun time. It was during their 100th anniversary. So I got to work on those types of celebrations. I learned marketing. I learned promotion. And specifically, I learned what it meant to create a tribe versus just an audience. I mean, these people were diehard fans of the brand and what Harley was all about. They tattooed the logo on their arms. I mean, they were serious. So I really really, truly learned what it meant to create a tribe and really a movement around a business. So of course it started out with just about motorcycles, but it became so much more. So that was really exciting, a lot of fun. But what I've never talked about is before that, I worked as an intern when I was in college. And then one of my first jobs out of college was for a nonprofit. And the nonprofit was called Dream Foundation. And we granted last dying wishes to adults. So it was like make a wish for adults. You had to be in your last year of life and you could make one final wish. And it was a pretty beautiful experience. So I feel like a lot of my compassion and a lot of my genuine care about people came from my experiences working with the Dream Foundation. The founder, Thomas Rollerson, was a dear friend of mine, and he really taught me what it meant to care for people at a level beyond anything I ever knew. And so I got to see people in their worst, worst moments of their lives. And their dreams were typically about how they can spend more time with their family and create experiences. And that whole idea of creating experiences has stayed with me in everything I do in my business. And while I was preparing this podcast episode for you today, I was thinking about 
the fact that that's what I learned from the Dream Foundation, how to create experiences that live beyond your actual life. I mean, that's how drastic and dire their situation was. And so if I could take just a little of that and create experiences in my own business today, I feel like I'm creating a business that truly matters. So I want to infuse even more of those experiences into what I'm doing moving forward. So I actually had a learning moment as I was preparing this episode, like, Amy, what experiences can you create? Because I feel like I've gotten away from it a little bit. So the Dream Foundation was one of my very first jobs out of college, and it is very near and dear to my heart. I'll link to it in my show notes if you want to check out what they're all about. Now, shortly after the Dream Foundation, I had a marketing slash sales job in the publishing world, and that was pretty uneventful. And then I landed Harley and I was young. So, of course, I was kind of experimenting with what would work. After Harley, you're never going to believe this, but I wanted to go back home to Orange County and I landed a matchmaking job in Newport, California, Newport Beach matchmaking. Yeah, you heard me right. I don't know how this happened. I'm not really sure why I did what I did, but I actually was thinking it was more of an online kind of matchmaking job. I don't know what I thought it was, but at that point after Harley, I wanted to get into online marketing and it was just my first thought about it would be cool to do something with the web and marketing, but I didn't know anything about the world I'm living in now, like zero, but I just had this pull to want to do more stuff online. Literally, that's probably how I would have talked about it. I want to do more stuff online. I didn't even know what that meant, but I decided to go with this matchmaking business thinking they had a lot to do with online matchmaking and it didn't. It was actually People would come into the office and they would tell you about who they're looking for, some of their struggles with dating, their ideal candidate details and all that good stuff. And then I would match them with other people in our database. And the database was pretty much the extent of what was online. So it wasn't the type of job I thought, and it felt very high pressure sales. So I lasted two weeks. I don't like high pressure sales jobs. I'm not good in that capacity. And for all of you that are are good in that, do a little happy dance because that is a great skill to have. I'm not skilled in that area. But one kind of funny thing with that whole experience is that I was single and young at the time. And so these guys would come in and talk about their ideal mate, what they're looking for. They'd talk about their job they're in and their family. So I'd really get to know them. And of course, I'd filter it through, well, would I want to date them? And so every prospect that came in, I was thinking, maybe I could date this guy, which is not at all what I was allowed to do, nor did I do. I'm kind of a rule follower, but I couldn't help it. That's like human nature, right? So I was 1 million percent not right for the job. Why do I bring that up in this episode? I think it's important that we have some really big failures in our corporate experience so that we know what we want and what we don't want. So if you're in corporate right now, or if you look back and you feel ashamed of all the jobs you've had and all the missteps along the way, let's just celebrate those. And all you need to tell yourself is, I know what I don't like to do, what I'm not good at, what I don't want. And so I look back now and think like, that was a great two weeks. Literally, I think that's all it lasted because I learned no high pressure sales jobs. I can't do it. Plus, I'm pretty much not a good matchmaker. I decided that as well. So fast forward just a bit and I landed the job with Tony Robbins. And if you followed me talking about this journey before, you know that I was first offered a job at $30,000 to work in the creative department And I couldn't take that much of a pay cut. At the time, I had started working for another marketing company. It was super boring. I don't even remember that much about it. But I had taken a job after the failed matchmaking job. And it was just a regular marketing job. And so I was making pretty good money though. So when they came back at 30,000, I thought I can't take that much of a cut. So I said, listen, if something else comes about, you know, my skill set, you know, my experience, please do give me another call. And so a few months later they called and offered me a job. I think it was around $60,000. It was for a creative manager, which meant I got to manage the team 
that is called Tony's creative team. And the creative team creates the content that Tony does on stage and in his digital products. Now, Tony is very much involved in that. So you literally are working beside Tony, creating this content, going into recording studios with him, going to live events with him, all that good stuff. So I managed that team. And I need to share with you that it was the best experience of my life and one of the most difficult experiences of my life. I was a very different person when I worked with Tony and the entire Tony Robbins team, and I was a lot more fragile than I am today. So one thing I haven't really shared is there were a lot of tears on site at the events that I would go and manage because not only did I manage the team, but I was responsible for Unleash the Power Within and at one point or another, Date with Destiny. If you know the Tony events, you know those names. So I literally would travel to the events and like I said, work on the content that Tony would do on stage. I would debrief with Tony afterwards and we would just be by his side. Any kind of content idea he had, we would flesh it out with him. So if you watched that Netflix documentary, I've already mentioned this in another podcast, I'm Not Your Guru is the name of it. You'll see a girl in a black suit and she's with him a lot in the car leading up to it. That was basically me or somebody on my team. That's the role we would play. I learned so much. And I think some of my biggest learnings had to do with being resourceful, always finding a way. Also content creation. How I create content today is literally how I learned to create content in the Robbins organization. And side note, if you're coming to my live event and I'll link to the live event dates in the show notes, but there's one in October, one in December. And if you're coming to my live events, this is obviously recorded in 2017, I'm going to map out a content creation plan that I've never really talked about before. And it literally was derived from my experience with Tony Robbins. And I'm going to just go over how I get so much content created so quickly and the process that I go through personally, not with a big team, just me, because I create all my own content. So I'm going to share that with you at the live event. So if you're curious, I'd love to see you there. It's just one day, San Diego, and it's going to be an amazing event. Anyway, back to this. So content creation, being resourceful, these were some of my big takeaways. And I also had a moment at Tony Robbins, and I've talked about this so much before that I'm going to go through this story pretty quickly, but then talk to you about my turning point, why I decided to leave. So before I get there, what happened was before I decided to leave, I was asked to take notes at a meeting that Tony was doing with a bunch of internet marketers. And I mean, talk about humbling. I was literally a note taker in this meeting. And no matter if I was a director getting paid six figures, you always are taking notes one time or another with Tony because he loves to have a debrief of everything he does, which is another great takeaway. He can always go back to this meeting or that discussion, and we always have notes on it. And I thought that was a really cool strategy that he uses to never lose any insights, tips, strategies, anything that he comes up with or the team comes up with. So anyway, I was asked to go to this meeting to take notes. I wasn't even at the main table. I was at a side table. And the guys that walk into this meeting were Frank Kern, Evan Pagan, Jeff Walker, so many others. And those are just some of the few that were at the table. And it was amazing because Tony asked them, he went around the table and said, tell me about your business. And each of the guys talked about their lifestyle, all the freedom that they had and the ability to create and try new things and launch this and launch that. And we at the time were not into online launching at Tony Robbins. And so this whole idea of an online launch was completely foreign to me, but it was one of those moments that my heart just started beating like crazy. Like, what are they talking about? And I need that. Now, I was very aware that there was not one woman at this table. Now, this was back in let's see, like 2006, 2007, maybe. So I think it was a time when there were even fewer women in this entrepreneurial space as we see it today. But I just was very aware there's no women. And it was a good old boys club. Like Frank Kern was in his t-shirt, board shorts, flip-flops, that kind of thing. So it just felt very like another world to me. That's what it felt like. But I was curious. And so after that meeting, I turned in my notes, did what I needed to do, but I thought, 
I have to have a piece of that. I have to be a part of whatever the heck they're talking about. So what I did, and this is part of my secret to success, is that I figured out a way to get in there. And for me, it meant that I asked to move to the marketing department and work on some of those launches. And even if I had like a job that was just like a little worker bee putting together documents or creating content around this or that, as long as I was in the launch, I was happy. And the greatest thing about the Robbins organization is they let me be a part of that. They said, yes, they let me work on these launches. Of course, it was long hours. It was grueling. I'm sure there were more tears. I think I was more of a crier back then than I am today. Embarrassing to admit, but I got to work on online launches. I got to see what Frank Kern was suggesting. He became a consultant at the time. It was just amazing. And then around the time, Tony also wanted to create new money masters, which was a product. I wish he would do it again. It was so good, but it's outdated now for the most part. But basically he interviewed online marketing experts, Brendan Bruchard and Russell Brunson, of course, Jeff Walker and Frank Kern, Dean Jackson. That was another big name that I was like, oh my gosh, tell me everything you know. So he interviewed these guys and I got to work on that digital product. So again, I got to get in it. And so if I wanted to make this more actionable for you or more valuable, I should say, ask yourself right now, where do you need to get in it even more? Because It might just mean that you need to inject yourself in some different experiences and situations that right now you might think, no, that's not an option, but it always is an option. I mean, asking to move to the marketing department, it's not like I wasn't freaked out to do it, but I just was like a tiger. I had to be a part of that. And so that was my moment of thinking there's another world out there. I had no idea, but I need it. And up until that point, I promise you, I had never, ever thought about having my own business. If you said, Amy, one day you'll be an entrepreneur, I'd say, what does that even mean? I don't get it. So just back in, let's say, 2006, 2007, even 2008, I don't think I ever would have thought I'd have my own business. And I didn't think I had any skill set that would translate to my own business. I've said this before, but I have a really good girlfriend. Her name is Gina. She actually helps me with my podcast outlines because we would pitch and catch content with Tony Robbins together. So I just love her style. And I remember saying to Gina, you are a writer, you are a skilled writer, and you would have something that would translate into, let's say, being a consultant if you ever left here. I have nothing that would translate. I don't know if she'd even remember me saying that, but it felt like yesterday. And she looked at me like, you're crazy. Everybody has something that would translate into you building your own thing, being your own boss. And I'll tell you right now, I believe that. I really, truly do. At the time, though, I just couldn't see it that way. So I'm spending a little bit more time on the Tony story because this is the one I get asked about the most. And also I get asked, why would you ever leave a well-paying, really exciting job with Tony Robbins? And the answer to that, and this is my turning point, is that I finally, after all those experiences of getting to work on online launches and taking notes in that one really cool meeting that kind of changed my life, after all of that, I thought, I am bursting at the seams to be my own boss. I wanted nothing more than to call the shots and to dictate my own hours and create the kind of content that I was most excited to create for my own business. Can I get an amen? I know that some of you are still in your nine to five corporate job, and I bet you're getting close to that point that you are bursting at the seams. And here's the advice that I want to give you. And that is that you have to listen to your gut in this, because I promise you there is never a perfect time to leave corporate. I mean, I had actually gone part-time. I was setting things up. So I had some clients that were waiting for me when I actually took the leap, but I'll tell you, I did not have enough money saved. That was for sure. The, The challenge was the first two years out of corporate, we went into debt. And I did not love those times. And it was really hard because we were just married. So I wish that we were more ready financially for me to go out on my own. But I listened to my gut and I listened to my heart and I realized 
I can't do this anymore. And I didn't want to get resentful. That wasn't fair to anybody. And so I finally took the leap when things were not perfect, but I knew if I don't do it now, I may never do it. So I think that you just got to get to that point. I know a lot of moms say you will never find the perfect time to have a baby. There's just never a perfect time. Well, I tease that there's never a perfect time to birth your online business, but you will know when it's time to take that leap. I really do believe that as long as you don't allow fear to take over and you become paralyzed and you never leave. So the turning point for me, why I finally left Robbins had to do with two different situations. Number one, I was traveling like crazy when I worked with the Robbins organization. I mean, I can't complain. I went to Namali, which is Tony's personal resort in Fiji, where we recorded his very last infomercial. That was cool. I've been to London, in the Philippines, in Gold Coast, Australia. So I got to travel to amazing places but I just traveled way too much. And that was around the same time that I was getting serious with Hobie. And I was never around. And that's really hard when you meet somebody that you want to spend all of your time with. And I remember the first time Hobie told me he loved me was in a really unromantic situation. We were literally at a red light in this busy intersection and he was driving me to the airport to go on yet another trip where I was going to be gone for weeks. And he looked over at me and he said he loved me. And I was shocked because I didn't expect it in that moment. And I didn't say it back right away. I said it like 10 minutes later. So the running joke in our relationship is that he loves me more than I love him because I took forever to say it. Not true, but he puts that on me all the time. So the sad thing is here, this guy that I'm falling in love with tells me he loves me. And then I get on a plane and I'm gone for weeks and weeks. And when I'm gone, I am really working hard. So there's little communication, which is a bummer. So it became really clear that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this man and I didn't want to be on the road all the time. So that was a really big factor. So essentially, I didn't want to travel that much and be away from Hobie. And number two, I wanted to be my own boss and call the shots. And the last thing I'll say about that is Tony taught this story or this lesson around the need to burn the boats and storm the island when you finally make a really big decision and there's no turning back. And that's exactly what I had to do. So for me, burning the boats meant that I couldn't take any contractor work for Robbins. I couldn't go to one more event or do one more side job for them because I knew that was my safe spot. I would go right back into working for corporate again because I was so scared to go out on my own. So I really did need to cut ties, not burn relationships, just not really go back and continue to do work like one-off projects because that wasn't going to support and I needed to keep moving forward. So that's why I left Tony Robbins. Okay, so now we're going to transition into the next phase, which is what I did when I left corporate and how I started a business I absolutely hated. Yeah, there's some more hardships coming down the road. But before we get there, I wanted to let you know that for the first time, I created just a really quick cheat sheet that I think you're going to find incredibly valuable. What I did is I sat down and I thought about the five core lessons that I learned from being on the inside of the Tony Robbins organization, lessons I learned directly from Tony that I use as an entrepreneur today. And these are big lessons. They have shaped everything that I have done in my business, from creating content, to making big decisions, to moving past the limiting beliefs. So there's mindset and there's business strategy. So I've never shared these in this way specifically, and I want to share them with you. So if you want to see a little insider's view of the biggest lessons I learned from Tony Robbins personally, then all you need to do is go to amyporterfield.com forward slash 175 download, amyporterfield.com forward slash 175 download, or you can just go to the show notes of this episode, amyporterfield.com forward slash 175 
scroll down and you will see a box to click for this freebie. It's one of my most favorite freebies I've ever created because it's really personal and you can apply it directly to your own business as well. So it's not just about me and my lessons, but I think you are going to be able to apply them as well and find them incredibly valuable. And they're kind of unique in the sense that I was behind the scenes for so long. So make sure to grab that freebie and let's move on. So during this time of transition at Robbins, one thing that I had going for me that was really cool is that I was learning social media. So coach Deb, Deb Cole, I got to give her a shout out. She came into the office one day and she taught me how to use Twitter. And Tony was really big on Twitter from the minute he got on there and he was doing all his own tweets, all his own content. So it was really cool. But we had sub accounts and I got to manage some of those. So I learned Twitter and then I was introduced to Mari Smith and I had coffee with Mari and she taught us how to get a Facebook page up and running for the Robbins organization. So I got to be a part of that as well. So I started to dabble with social media and I started to meet people outside of Robbins and it was like this whole new world. So that was really exciting. And then right around that same time, Tony was writing a white paper and Mari suggested that we hire Mike Stelsner for the white paper. So I became the go-between and Mike would write the white paper, Tony would give me feedback and I'd communicate it to Mike. And Mike and I became fast friends and he really became a mentor to me. So as we went through this project, he started to ask me a little bit about me and what I do at the Robbins organization. And I finally secretly shared with him that I was thinking about moving on and what I wanted to do. And he said, well, I'm starting this website called Social Media Examiner. We're still Still creating it, but if you want to come on board and help me out with a few things, I definitely could have some work for you. And I jumped at this opportunity for sure. I was really excited. So he actually was one of my paying clients when I finally took the leap and left Robbins. And he's been a mentor to me for years now. So right around that time is when I finally took the big leap and I went out on my own. So now we're moving into phase two, which is all about consulting. And right around the time that I started to do work for Mike, he started to take me to Blog World, which is not even an event that you can go to anymore. But at the time, it was a huge event. And I would wrangle up people for him to interview for his brand new website. So weird, right? If you know Social Media Examiner, you know it's crazy that, you know, it was so new when I first started to work with Mike. And then from there, I started to get other clients and I was doing social media. I was in the trenches. I was creating posts and creating content. And I ended up with about eight different clients that I would do their social media. And this one I've talked about a bunch. I hated it. I did not like consulting work because it totally felt like instead of having Tony Robbins tell me what to do and give me my assignments, I had like eight mini Tony Robbins calling me at all different hours, setting crazy expectations for me. Just basically, I felt like I had a bunch of bosses. And so really, again, that comes back to my weakness in the sense that I don't know how to manage a lot of clients at once. Wasn't my strong suit. I'm a yes kind of girl. So I would want to say yes to everybody. And I was really, really overwhelmed. So I thought leaving corporate meant I would work less hours and have this beautiful freedom that all those guys around that table at that Robbins meeting talked about. I had zero freedom. So I had created a business I absolutely hated. And I stayed with consulting for the first two years of growing my business. I dabbled with an online course. I would do a lot of guest blog posting and interviews and videos for other people's products and all that good stuff. But really, I just hated it. I hated it so much. But here's one of the big silver linings that came out of it. Remember how I mentioned that Mike Stelzner would take me to Blog World and have me wrangle people for him to interview? Well, while I was there, a guy walked up to me and we just started chatting and we built a friendship. And he's just was a great guy and I loved what he was sharing. His name was Lewis Howes, which I'm sure you all know Lewis. He was known back in the day for LinkedIn. And so 
I just had this friendship with him and I saw him at another blog world and it was just so cool. I just love the guy. And then one day we were having a conversation and he said, Amy, you're getting known for Facebook. I have a big email list. I have a really good network. Why don't you create a Facebook product and I'll market it with my then partner. He was partnered with Sean Malarkey. And so Sean and Lewis and me basically created FB Influence, which was a $97 Facebook 101 program. And we marketed the heck out of that. And what was cool is we used affiliates. So it was my first experience with affiliate marketing and also basically doing webinars. I had never done a successful webinar until I started to promote FB Influence. And we did like hundreds of webinars because Lewis and Sean would say, okay, great. We have 10 affiliate live webinars you're doing this week. So I became a webinar machine, which is why I got so good at webinars. When you do it over and over and over again, you're going to get good at it usually, right? So this was all around the time I was still doing consulting. And from the success of FB Influence, I was able to finally let go of consulting and I moved into my online course. Now, two things I want to say about that, because remember, I promised you I'd talk about the turning point. One turning point was that I actually started making money with FB Influence, so I didn't need to take on more clients. But there were two other stories behind that that I think are more relevant to you and what you're doing, because not everybody's going to get that opportunity where someone's going to say, hey, create a product with me, and then it's a great success. Before that, I had some failed launches. I created some of my own online courses that didn't do well. So I had those missteps along the way, but I was consulting, so I still brought money in. But as you know, if you're consulting or if you have a side gig and a real gig, creating a course is really, really hard. Meaning my real gig was consulting. My side gig was creating this online course. And it's just hard to do both. And so I eventually made it work, but it was great to be able to let go of most of my consulting. But again, two things I want to share with you. When I left Tony Robbins, I got into a paid mastermind with Marie Forleo. And It was a lot of money. I was super embarrassed to tell anybody I was doing it because no one really understood what a mastermind was all about. But we met four times a year. I think it was like $17,000. We met four times a year and then we did monthly check-ins with Marie. And I did it for two years and they were during my consulting times. And I would get in my hot seat and Marie would say, why are you still doing this consulting? Like you need to move on. You don't like it. You don't want to do it. And she said it so much that I finally like got the fire lit and I decided, okay, I really do need to make this change. And so having somebody else kind of look at my situation and say, you're crazy. You need to fix this. That was huge for me. And so Marie was a huge, huge player in my success, especially those first two years. Hence why I promote B-School at the level I do. It changed my life. And so I'm a huge fan of that program. I'll promote it again in February. I always do an amazing bonus package. So if you've never thought about B-School or you've never signed up, definitely pay attention in February and March when we start to talk about it again. The other turning point for me beyond Marie saying like, get it together, Amy, you've got to make a change, was that... Again, I had this client. It was a big shot entrepreneur, online entrepreneur, and he was a jerk. And he did huge launches, made a lot of money, but I just didn't like how he talked to his team and I didn't like how he talked to me. And there was one situation where I was traveling and something wrong happened with a webinar he was doing. And he called me up again. God knows what I need because he called me up and he screamed at me and he was so mad and put it all on me. And I'm not one to make excuses. So I was part of the whole project. So I just took it. But I hung up in that moment. I said, oh, hell no, never again. I need to change something. So with Marie telling me, let's change your business model with that one entrepreneur screaming at me. And I thought I'm not going back there to having another boss, which it felt like I did. And with the success of 
FB influence, it all came together again. And if I didn't pay attention to what was going on, if I didn't open myself up to new opportunities, and if I didn't do it scared, I would have never transitioned into the next phase, which was courses. Now, this next phase, I call it courses when I didn't really know my niche or niche, whatever. That word just kills me. So let's say niche today. So phase three would be courses when I didn't know my niche. Now, remember, I did FB influence and I didn't know who my niche was at all. And I'm not exactly sure the perfect niche for that program. It was so long ago, but it did well because I didn't do it on my own. But also I had created other courses that I marketed. I did a simple social media formula, I think is what the program was called. And it was a great program all about social media, but I didn't know who I was marketing to, who it was perfect for. So I didn't know how to create the benefits and the value of it. So that program on its own kind of failed miserably compared to kind of what I can do now. So I think you need a phase three. I think you need to experiment even when you don't know who your ideal avatar is, because if you put some stuff out there and start asking questions and start paying attention, you will understand who your avatar is if you make it your mission. So that's why moving forward, I want to talk to you more and more about really defining your ideal customer avatar, because if I had done that sooner, I would have had success sooner because really the first two years, I wouldn't say I was successful at at all. Moving into the third, I started to make some good money, but it wasn't until I nailed down my avatar that the million dollar launches happened. And so I guess I would say that my big learning was, okay, I have these courses, I have great content, I've gotten some good traction, but who do I really want to talk to and who really needs what I want to create? So phase four, I told you we'd move through the last phases pretty quickly. Phase four is courses when I actually nailed my niche. And let me tell you what that looked like. So I believe that the Profit Lab, it first started as the Facebook Marketing Profit Lab and then moved into just the Profit Lab. I think that's when I really nailed down my niche. And I had marketed the program a few times and did well, but I still knew I hadn't really nailed it in terms of who I was talking to. And here's how I know that. And here's how you might know as well. People would get into my program and they would ask me questions and I genuinely wouldn't know how to answer their questions, which made me very nervous, made me feel like a fraud, made me feel less than because here I had created this beautiful product. I put my blood, sweat and tears into it. People joined. They'd ask me questions about the content and how to navigate this or troubleshoot that. And there were some people that I just couldn't help. Who were those people? Well, they had a brick and mortar shop, so they wanted to know how to get more foot traffic into their store. I had never done that before. And I knew from the beginning, my special sauce would be, I only teach what I've actually done. That's the beauty of teaching online marketing. You can do it first and then teach it. And that's how I like to do things. And so I didn't know how to support someone in a brick and mortar store. And then someone would say, Amy, I sell t-shirts on Etsy and I need to know how to build up my Etsy store. And I joined the profit lab in order to grow my email list. But how do I grow an email list with a physical product? And what do I do on Etsy? I knew nothing about physical products as well. And so after this happened a few times, and it wasn't like the majority of people in the program, it could be like two people out of 500 and it still hit me in my gut. Like I knew something was off. And so because I knew I was attracting some people that were not right for my program, I had decided I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to say who this program is for. So one of the last times I launched Profit Lab, I finally got the courage to say, if you are creating an online business where you want to sell an information product, so an online training course of some kind, it doesn't matter if you're yoga or marketing or breastfeeding or whatever it is, a voiceover expert, whoever you are, if you want to create an info product, a training course online, I am your girl. And that's who this Profit Lab program is for. And I said it on a webinar and then I literally wanted to hide under my desk because I thought, well, there it goes. I'm going to get like half the number of sales because I just told a bunch of people they were not right for my program. And you probably have guessed 
I was wrong because it literally, I think, made people say, oh, then I'm in. I'm, I'm your girl or I'm your guy. This is perfect. I need this program. And the funny thing is, and I've been told that it works this way, but I didn't believe it till I experienced it firsthand. I still get people that have brick and mortar and I still get people that have physical products, but they know before they join, that's not my specialty, but if they like me, they like my teaching style and they could be resourceful and kind of figure out how what I teach would work for them by all means, knock yourself out. And that's cool. I love that. And now I embrace it. And I'm not scared to say, you know, I've never marketed a physical product on Etsy. I do not know, but let me give you some resources that will help you. Now I stand confident in that before it made me feel like a failure. So here's my lesson to you in this. You don't need to know everything. You can't know everything and that's okay. But if you find that sweet spot between knowing exactly what you want to teach and who you want to serve, and you find the audience that is so excited to learn what you have to offer, that sweet spot makes you love your business and get up every morning and get excited to work on it. And it took me a while to get there and that's okay. You don't have to be there right now, but it is something that you want to strive for a million percent. So I think in phase four, when I was creating courses and I actually nailed my niche, that's where the confidence soared. And that's when I thought, okay, I actually have something going here that I know is going to work. I've seen it work for me. This is something that's repeatable and scalable. It was really, really exciting. And so from there, moving into phase five, and phase five is creating courses with serious scaling. So having a product suite, automation, knowing when to say no, knowing when to say yes, that would be phase five, which is where I am now. And it still comes with challenges and heartache. And I still find myself wavering in that confidence area at times, but I snap back a whole lot quicker than I've done in the past. So now in phase five, I have a product suite, List Builders Lab, courses that convert and webinars that convert. I'm creating a brand new program for the first time in a while that will come out in early January. Super excited about that one. And we actually haven't nailed down the topic. I have a few that I'm excited about, but I'm going to let all you decide which one you want it to be. So look for a survey from me soon if you're on my email list. And so things are amazing. And I feel like I have a business I love. Am I done growing? Heck no. There's so much more we want to do and experiment with. But I feel like getting to phase five took a lot of big decisions and small decisions. I think, you know, taking action every day, taking those hardships with the wins, just knowing that there's something bigger and better waiting for you, all of that played a part. Now, in phase five, I've gotten really good about saying no to opportunities that look very appealing to my ego, but won't make an impact for the audience that I'm serving. So let me give you an example of what just happened last week. There was a big organization that reached out to me, an organization that I actually love, and I participated in some of the things they did early on when I was just getting started. So they're near and dear to my heart. It's a marketing organization. I'll stay away from the name because I don't know if they care if I mention them or not in this capacity. So what happened was they reached out to me and said, Amy, will you talk about webinars? We're doing a summit and we'd love for you to teach on XYZ. And they were going to pay me to do it, which is very rare. So that's really cool. So I said, yes, I'd love to talk about webinars. Anytime I get that opportunity, especially in front of a really big audience like they have, I say, bring it on. So they asked me to put together the outline for my talk around webinars. And when I did so, they came back and said, okay, well, we want you to teach webinars in a capacity of list building, but not selling. The audience you're going to be talking to more B2B, they are not going to use webinars to sell anything, but more so attract an audience and list build, which is great, but not what I teach. And so although they had a huge audience that I really wanted to get out in front of, because it's not all just B2B who, who aren't selling on webinars, I think they have my audience, but they wanted me to teach in a way that wasn't congruent to how I teach webinars. And so I had to pass it up, but I was very clear, like, nope, this is not a right opportunity for me. And you wouldn't want me to come on your summit and talk about something that you aren't totally on board with. Like, 
I talk about using webinars to sell and everything you teach in your webinar all leads to your sell, whatever you're selling online courses usually. So it's easier in the phase I am in my business now to know instantly, oh, that's right for me or that's not right for me. And it's also easier to know when I say yes for my ego versus what's best for me and my audience. And sometimes I want to say yes just because it will make me look good. And then I often resent those yeses because it's work that I don't want to be doing or it's not moving me forward in the way that I want it to move me forward. So I think those are some of the biggest lessons I've learned in phase five. Know when to say yes, know when to say no. And I did an episode about this whole idea of saying no more than you say yes. And I'll link to it in the show notes if it's something that you struggle with. But I think it's really important to kind of get that in check even before you hit the phase I'm in now, knowing what's best for you and your audience and knowing how to let go of the opportunities that are just the next shiny objects. So very important. Or in the case of this marketing promotion I was going to do with this other business, saying no, because I knew that I know my core message now and I know what I teach and how I teach and I don't want to sway away from that. So that was another big aha moment for me as well. So there you have it. Let's jump into the wrap up. So I want to leave you with this. Where you are right now, no matter if you're just starting out, no matter if you're starting again for the fifth, sixth, seventh time, no matter if you are in corporate right now and your entrepreneurial hopes are a side hustle, no matter what, you are exactly where you need to be. Because when I look back at all these phases that I just went through with you, I know that if any one of those phases was different, I might not be where I am today, growing a business I love, creating projects, and doing the kind of stuff and the kind of work that I really, really enjoy. Maybe if I did something different around phase two or phase three, I wouldn't be here today. So I think that Everything happens for a reason, and I think that you always need to be making decisions, moving forward, taking action, and realizing that you don't have to have it all figured out. For sure, you don't have to have it all figured out. I feel as much as making decisions and taking action are important, having a little faith that it will work out if your heart and your mind is in the right place, I believe that. So just something to think about. I thought it would make sense to end with one of my very favorite quotes from one of my very favorite entrepreneurs, Shonda Rhimes. She's the creator of How to Get Away with Murder and Grey's Anatomy and so many other cool things. And she just recently reinvented herself by leaving network television and she's going over to Netflix. I love it. I love that if you've been an entrepreneur for a while, you can always reinvent yourself. You can always change course. That's a conversation for another podcast, right? But I wanted to read a quote from Shonda that I think you will absolutely relate to, at least I hope you will. And here is that quote. I am not lucky. You know what I am? I am smart. I am talented. I take advantage of the opportunities that come my way and I work really, really hard. Don't call me lucky. Call me a badass. I mean, amen, right? I call you a badass for sure. You're showing up every day. You're doing the hard work and you're taking advantage of the opportunities that are coming your way. And I think that definitely deserves a little happy dance, to say the least. Thank you so very much for being with me here today. I feel very lucky that I got to share my story. And my hope is that you found some value lessons, some aha moments along the way as well. I cannot wait to talk to you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast at www.amyporterfield.com. 